Is that, am I on? I'm on. I am sort of on. If I talk like this. <clears throat> it's good to see everyone here today. Um, I've got a few announcements and then I'm going to pray and then I'll get stuck into the talk part. Um, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, we had the little survey about Easter camp that the conference was, conference was asking about or asking churches their thoughts about it. Um, we responded uh, to that and, um, and this isn't... Uh, reflective of uh, the Fremantle Church vote, but the Easter camp for 2022 um, from the conference level has been cancelled, unfortunately. So next year, Easter camp will not be run uh, by the conference. Uh, churches are being encouraged to run their own uh, Easter program for that time, and um, there will be uh, the conference uh, is planning on or has organised dates for some regionals. So there's the North, uh, North Suburbs Regional, the East Suburbs Regional and the Southern Suburbs Regional. So we'll be a part of the Southern Suburb Regional. Um, carols uh, for 2021 start what time? Seven, what? 7.30, but get there at... Seven. At, <laughs> some of us will be getting there at nine o'clock. <laughs> or some of us will be getting there early. Um, but for a 7.30 start for the program. Um, and <clears throat> just a quick announcement about my uh, pastoring positions for next year. Um, I'm still at Fremantle, so that might be a blessing and a curse for some of you. Um, but I'm also, 50% uh, of my time will be dedicated to North Perth Church as well. <laughs> um, so 50% here at Frio, 50% at North Perth, um, working with another pastor uh, named Obed. Um, and Obed is also 50% at North Perth, and then he's 50% in the conference office. Um, so I've already started working with Obed. We've already, we're already starting to plan next year and things, what that will look like. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm a bit nervous because North Perth is um, a little bit bigger than Fremantle and a bit scarier, and I don't know. I don't know. I was scared when I came to Frio, so same thing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so they're the announcements for next year. Um, and this year, and carols, um, and before I get stuck into it, let's have just a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we just thank you for this opportunity to come to you, especially in this time of uh, Christmas, um, just around the corner. In fact, in fact, uh, the time we remember your birth, just seven days away, and we, we look forward to that time, Lord. We look forward to that time of remembering that great act of you coming here to earth and being born as a baby, um, vulnerable um, and, and, and meek and humble um, when you are the, really the God of the universe. And uh, we remember that great action, that great sacrifice that you made to lay aside your divinity, lay aside um, your power and, and come as a baby in a manger. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this time that we get to remember that. And as, uh, as we journey through the story of Scripture, I pray, Lord, that that you're guiding through your Holy Spirit and that we are directed to you um, and to your, your magnificent and wonderful and marvellous love. 
Um, we pray this in your loving, blessed name, Jesus. Amen. I think I've got a PowerPoint, James. Um, and if you could put that up, that'd be fantastic. So, for me, it feels, I don't know if you're, you'd relate to this, but it feels like each year the Christmassy things like baubles or tinsel or trees or stars like come earlier and earlier throughout the year. So um, I think Kelly and I were driving through the main street of, um, of uh, Fremantle. I can't remember the name. Is it Adelaide Street or something? I don't know. Whatever that main one is. And we start seeing like the tinseled uh, decorations on the light posts. I'm like, oh, I am up. Sweet. Um, on, the, on, the, on the light posts there. So I'm going I'm to ask a question. When is the earliest you've seen Christmas decorations? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like somebody didn't put them down from December, <laughs> December. they just left them up because they're like, oh, Christmas is coming next year. Ezzy? April, you saw Christmas decorations all the way back in April. At your house? <laughs> Where did you see these Christmas decorations? It was still in Fremantle, okay. You think they got the date wrong. Okay, so it was somebody in Fremantle. They must have gotten the date wrong. Um, anyone else? Anyone beat April? Like, there was the all year round. Some people are just so lazy, they're like, no, we'll leave them up all the whole, whole time. But, there, like, there seems to be, with, with especially the... the commercialization of Christmas and stuff like that. Shops seem to be putting up Christmas decorations earlier and earlier. Is that right? Like, do you get that sense as well? Like, you go, well, the main, the main shop that Kelly and I seem to go to or gravitate towards is Carousel at Cannington, and it feels like, you know, oh, their Kmart starts putting up de Christmas decorations, like, around October, November period. Uh, and then shops, like you start seeing them come out through the council and all these sorts of things. And there's this sort of build-up, if you will, of like Christmas is coming. Christmas is just around the corner and it's like October. September, October time. <laughs> like it's just around the corner. It's September, October. There's still like three months, four months to go. April, that's pretty crazy, Ezra. <laughs> I can't, can't imagine like going, Christmas is just around the corner in April. That's a bit ridiculous. But there's an interesting sort of, uh, uh, and I use that analogy because there's also the similar analogy in the, in the first book of Matthew. And journeying through the book of Matthew, it's sort of this happy coincidence that we land on the birth of Jesus, the Sabbath before Christmas. And if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17 and Matthew, in writing the book, he organises it and compartmentalises um, the Old Testament in this single verse into three chapters. He goes, Matthew's like essentially saying, he goes, here's the Old Testament in three chapters. Let me tell you about them. I think I got the... No. Oh, I can leave that up. That's all right. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, he says this. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are how many generations? 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are? 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are? 
14 generations. And so Matthew, in this very uh, symmetrical and very organized way, divides the Old Testament into these three major chapters. Okay? Abraham to David, David to captivity, and I've got the names up there that he uses in his genealogy. Abraham to David, David to captivity, and then from captivity to Jesus. And so you have these really well-organized three chapters comprising each of how many generations? 14 generations. Now, scholars are more or less of the opinion that Matthew's purposefully doing this and stylistically arranging the Old Testament to fit his point, a build-up, if you will, to the point of his book. And he he does that by saying... There's a 14, there's a 14, and there's a 14. Which in Jewish sort of thinking, in Jew- if a Jew- Jewish reader was reading this, would recognise that that is... Whoops. Six sevens. So a 14, a 14, and a 14 is six sevens. So 14 is 7 plus 7, and another 14 is 7 plus 7, and 14 is another 7 plus 7. So a 7 and 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 a 7. Which brings us to the very, er, very verge or very edge or the very cusp of a seventh 7. And we get there with the announcement of the birth of Jesus. The very next verse after that says this. Oh, sorry. So seven and seven, seven and seven, seven and seven. What's next? We get this. Now the birth of Jesus was like this. But before Matthew even gets to that verse, he wants to sort of have this building up, this sort of anticipation through this numerology, and there's this 14, and then a 14, and then another 14, a seven and 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 a seven. And here comes. After that, this seventh seven. Jesus arrives at the seventh seven, and this announces rest and anticipates jubilee. Of course, seven represents what? Creation, it represents Sabbath, it's this cycle of rest, it's this day that God rests through his, uh, at the end of his creation, and it anticipates Jubilee being a series of seven Sabbaths. There is this sense that a rest is coming, a Jubilee is coming, and it wouldn't be without purpose that Matthew, in chapter 11, verse 28, records these words from Jesus. He records Jesus saying this, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus himself embodies the principles of Sabbath, and he then offers as a gift the beauty of Sabbath rest and the true Sabbath rest. Not just the Sabbath rest that we're sort of taking a break from our, you know, physical labor here today, but the true Sabbath rest, which is resting in God totally as creator and totally as redeemer. But even beyond that, there's this 7-7 anticipates this jubilee time. And you might be going, Cameron, you've used that term before. What's jubilee mean? Well, jubilee is this great time period in the Jewish economy in which the land would go back to its ancestral owners, 
all debts were wiped clear, servants and slaves were set free. And so there's this, this announcement or this anticipation of a freedom, an announcement of debtlessness, an announcement of renewal with jubilee. So most computers come with a power on and a power off button, but they also come with another button. What other button might I be referring to? A reset button. Or if you're a PC user, you might use Alt-Control-Delete and go, oh, hang on, I need to pause for a moment and reset stuff. And Jubilee is like this reset. It's like going, ah, stop. Let's reset. Let's try that again. Let's have a fresh start. And when Matthew announces Jesus is coming, that the Messiah is coming, that the Christ is coming, it's right there on the verge of Sabbath, right there on the verge of this jubilee. Restoration is coming. Freedom is coming. Something new is coming. Something special is about to happen. And I love how Matthew wants to clear up some stuff about the birth of Jesus. Remember, we read at the start, we're talking about Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. That sounds very much like Matthew wants to sort of set the record straight. Because already in the time of Matthew, there was this circulation of this untoward and dubious nature of Jesus' birth. That maybe it wasn't clean, maybe it wasn't as nice, or it wasn't, you know, as, as we kind of sang just before. Uh, uh, silent night. Was that, did we sing that? We did sing that before. Like, silent night. It wasn't as clean as that. It wasn't as beautiful as that. That there was a dubious nature to it. There was an untoward nature to it. And, 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 and Matthew wants to clear up some stuff, clear up some facts and, and set the record straight, if you will. And he says, the birth of Jesus happened like this. And I'm going to get into a topic that might be uncomfortable for you guys and I'm going to premise that right now. He says, he, gets in, he says, the birth of Jesus happened like this, and then four times he mentions Mary's virginity. Now let's read it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we're going to go through to 25. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, just, was a just being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call, him, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it, it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. 
Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So those of you who are following along, here are the four uh, 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 references that Matthew makes to Mary's virginity. Before they came together, that which was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and do not, did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Now we must be careful because Matthew's point is not to degrade sex or to put virginity on this sort of plinth or this pedestal. His point is that there is already in circulation around his time accusations about Jesus, accusations about the dubious nature of his birth. And this question comes up, just who was Jesus' father? Just who was his dad anyway? And we get a hint of this in John chapter 8, verse 41. In John chapter 8, it says this, You do the deeds of your father... No, I don't have it. You do the deeds of your father, Satan. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. That is right there, a not so subtle reference to the scandalous or dubious nature surrounding Jesus' birth. That maybe his birth wasn't as miraculous. Maybe it wasn't Joseph's son. Maybe it was somebody else's and there's this great big cover-up that Joseph was trying to do. And so Matthew here is going, I want to set the record straight and say, whatever you may have heard, whatever you've heard about Jesus' birth, let me set it straight. This is how Jesus' birth happened. This is what happened when Jesus was born. And you go, Cameron, what's the point? Well, there's one point, and that's the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth. The miraculous nature of Jesus' birth. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That it wasn't Joseph's son, it wasn't anyone else's son, it was, it was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And as a follow-along, as a follow-on or a carry-on, I believe the Christian church has been saddled with this certain timidity to talk about this topic of sex. The idea that sex isn't really something that we talk about, that sex is something we don't ask about. And the reality is, when I grew up in the church, and maybe some of you might have a similar experience, the discussion of sex was few and far between. And the conversation wouldn't really go beyond, if you're not married, don't do it. Nothing about the reasons why, nothing apart from because the Bible said so. Being a pastor, sometimes I walk this really fine line with my wife of being out late at whatever events, of wanting to help um, and visit people and run meetings and all sorts of stuff. I walk this really fine line with this uh, being out, but also with this routine with putting Jared to bed and being present as a father. And so a lot of it has, a, has to do with give and take. And I, I recall one event in particular where the youth were hanging out and... And we were with the youth, and I said I was going to be home at a certain time, and I wasn't. And the reason was, 
As I was about to leave this particular youth get-together, one of the young people asked me a question and made me think this to myself. I, think, I thought to myself, this is important enough for me to risk the wrath of my wife. This is important enough for me to risk her wrath and being home a little bit later than I said I would be. And the topic that came up was this topic about sex before marriage, and I wanted to commit some time to that question that I hadn't been given in, the, in my upbringing in the church. Because I believe that's a great place, or I believe this is a great place to talk about sex and learn about the biblical principles surrounding it, and the principles of sex in the context of a loving relationship through marriage in the church. And when Jared grows up, As a teenager and as a young woman, I think, where would I like her to learn about sex? From the internet? From this little device most of us have in our pocket? Or from a gospel-informed, biblical perspective at church? For me, that's a no-brainer. I don't want her learning about it from a phone or from a computer. And maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable right now, and I feel uncomfortable talking about it. But I think it's important too. But I can tell you now that the Bible doesn't have any of these hang-ups talking about sex. The Bible speaks about it like it's just normal, normal function of humanity. And Matthew isn't idolizing virginity. This is something far more important, and it's this miraculous nature of Jesus' birth. And I think at this time and age, the sex question is this really giant, big question, and I believe the church community has a responsibility to give a gospel-centered, biblical answer to it. There is this massive sexualization of the world, of culture, of society, etc., and I'm going to try to be as polite as possible, where Scripture sort of just charges right into. The reality is virginity is not God's ideal, sexual intimacy is. You can go all the way back to Genesis and God is saying all these things about creation going, it's good, it's good, it's good, all these things are good and there's one thing that's not really good and who knows what that is. In Genesis 1.18 it says, it is not good for man to be alone. That's because God created mankind to be social and sexual beings. And right from the outset, God's very matter-of-fact about it. He says, Let, and they shall become one flesh. That's an unambiguous reference to the sexual union between a husband and a wife. And so God's ideal is sexual intimacy between two people that love each other deeply and dearly in the marriage context. I fear that some of us may have misread the story of the virgin birth, not simply as Matthew setting the record straight or outlining the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth, but also idolizing the importance and holiness of virginity. Just want to make a statement that virginity is virtuous in that it anticipates God's ideal of a loving, lifelong, and monogamous marital union. Its virtue is only in the sense that somebody is keeping themselves for God's ideal which is sexual intimacy. And the two become one flesh and, the, and that holy, beautiful, psychological and emotional connectivity of sexual joining, life is created through that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not blind to the reality that sex can be degraded through pornography or prostitution and all that. I don't believe these things can steal sex from God though. 
Because sex was created and given by God and all, this, all that pornography or prostitution can do is try to pervert what God has given. What God has made beautiful, what God has made wonderful, awesome and glorious. And I believe that human sexuality and the beauty of a heterosexual monogamous connection should be embraced and celebrated by the church. It's this connection not of just two bodies but two people with fears and hopes and dreams and passions and connections and in an intimate way that should only be shared with another person, with one other person. Now maybe you're like me and haven't been able to live up to that ideal and I'd just like to point you to Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love and his Holy Spirit's power to overcome but I love at the heart of the birth of Jesus, at the heart of the Christmas story, that Matthew shares this wonderful story of two young people, most likely around the ages of 15 through to 18. These two young people, Joseph and Mary, being presented with, to us as taking the high road. Joseph finds out that his wife's pregnant, and if it was me, I'd be like, really? If it was today? Really? That's a very easy story to disbelieve and Joseph's goal is not to embarrass her, not to take revenge on his wife-to-be, not to create some big scene in the town and play victim or whatever, but to quietly and gently put her away secretly, striving to save both of their reputations as best as possible and not have Mary killed as was the custom in that day. And fascinatingly enough, in the context of that story, in a culture where age was valued highly, Mary and Joseph's youthful piety is all the more striking in that story. That they would be making godly, honourable and righteous choices about their relationship. I just think it's just a wonderful prelude to the birth of Jesus to see these young people, Joseph and Mary, try their best to live godly and wonderful lives with respect, honour and empowering one another in the lead up to one of the most monumentous acts of God's love, the birth of Jesus Christ. And I pray and I hope that this Christmas you're able to find rest in Jesus, that it reminds you of his great action of coming to earth as a baby, to be, to be a God that is with his people, a God that desires connection and a God that desires to redeem. And I want to appeal to you all today to honour and worship God through your whole self, through your actions, through your time, through your words, through your stuff, through your whole person, that includes your sexual person as well. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the stories from Scripture. We thank you for that great story reminding us of the, of the Christmas, uh, the remembrance of your great action of love, that you came to earth as a baby to live a life that we couldn't and to die a death that we deserve. But also in that story, these little sub-stories that teach us more about your intent or your, more about your ideal for humanity. We just thank you for all of those stories. And Lord, as we learn more about you, we pray that we're changed, that we, 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 we 
we are, are sanctified, we're, we're changed into who you want us to be, to know that your ideals are these and that your, your love is, is loved this way. And we thank you for the story of Joseph and Mary and, the, and their taking of the high road that these two young people lived a life that gave you glory, lived a life that worshipped you, lived a life that exemplified you to those around, whoever heard the story or those around them. And Lord, we pray that we're able to do the same thing. I pray that your Holy Spirit continues with us and is especially with us come Christmas Eve till we get to the next Sabbath as well and that you'll continue teaching us and drawing us closer to you. We pray this in your loving, blessed name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Keith.